0: So, have y'all been enjoying Sundays and Wednesdays? Yes! Found them encouraging? Yes! Good, because I don't mind telling you tonight uh, it's a bit of a sledgehammer. But, you know, when you teach students that really love the Lord, the harder you hit them, the better they do. When you teach people that don't really love the Lord that much, they just get mad and it reveals their colors. So... Do you want the unadulterated Word of God? Yes. Yes. yes! Well, good evening.
1: Good evening.
0: Tonight is going to be a whirlwind. We have a very difficult but an enjoyable task before us. We are going to cover three full chapters tonight. Wow. In order to accomplish this, it is, uh, it's our intention to stay focused on the larger themes that constitute the forest and not get tunnel vision with trees, so to speak. Thus far, much of uh, our notes compilation, it resembles a highly detailed reference work. Tonight, it's more thematic in nature. There's a reason for our stylistic difference in presentation tonight. We're confident that these larger themes that we're going to touch on are directly applicable to the situations within our community. Amen. More than that, we believe that the ordering of our studies has been directed in the foreknowledge of the Spirit yeah. to appropriately deal with the hearts that are in this room. Amen. And so we don't want to be cowards and back away from that task. Amen. Tonight, we really have two goals. First, somebody say first. First. We intend for you to engage with the accurate historical record of the text of Jeremiah. Second, say second. Second. We intend for you to make piercing personal application that the results demand change within your personal lives. That's how we experience these chapters, and that's how we intend to transfer the impact to you. It turns out that we've been through ministry training level one. <laughs> Now, you're going to remember last week we repetitively covered this slide. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We got slides. We got slides. In Jeremiah 18, we discovered that there is a principle. God is in control of all circumstances. We discovered that there's a purpose. God has an ultimate outcome, and he will make sure that outcome is achieved. We also derived that every person... In Israel or in any believing community, must trust him in every circumstance. Now, as we began to follow the flow of the book of Jeremiah, it became relatively obvious to us that themes transition from chapter to chapter, they build on each other. In other words, Jeremiah didn't write it with chapter breaks and intend you to disassociate one chapter from another. With that in mind, Way back in Jeremiah 13, there's a principle that God is in control of all circumstances. But that principle was challenged because the people were pretending to be priests while hiding idolatry. You remember in Jeremiah 13 that there was a linen belt? Well, the reason that the story of the priestly linen belt dominates that chapter is that the people were not living up to what they were supposed to be. That example flows into the next several chapters until it arrives in Jeremiah 17. In Jeremiah 17, to a nation that is not handling their priestly belt right, the purpose of God was being challenged because the families all possessed deceitful hearts that stood in opposition to what Adonai wanted to do in them as a people. They were incapable of evaluating their own hearts and they needed to depend on the word and the Spirit's counsel that was being expressed through the prophets that were in their lives. Amen. Man, what an important concept is that? Yeah. That's essentially our jarhead covenant, except Jeremiah's in your jarhead covenant. <laughs> the flow continues straight into an object lesson that was given to Jeremiah. Who was it given to? Jeremiah. In the house of the potter in chapter 18. It's a private lesson with him and God. And that's important because he takes the impact of his private lesson and he brings it publicly to the whole nation. In Jeremiah 18, the same lump of clay can be used to make noble and ignoble vessels. The same lump of clay could be marred and reformed again by the master potter. Jeremiah understood that object lesson. And he appeals to every person within the nation To trust Adonai as the master of the potter's house. Do y'all have those concepts kind of down? Well, tonight we're going to pick up in Jeremiah 19. The national destiny of Israel as a vessel is still intact. No matter what happens to that lump of clay, no matter how marred, God can reform it. But you're going to see that an entire generation is shattered beyond repair. They are literally useless because of their state. There's a contrast between 18 and 19. In 18, it's that God can reform anything. In 19, it's that this generation is beyond repair. And so judgment is coming. As we begin, we are going to pray, and we're going to ask for repentant and sober hearts. Those that really love the Lord never get enough repenting, (laughs) okay? We're going to glean from the text the absolute need to learn scriptural principles of history so that we don't find ourselves dashed to pieces like pottery as a useless generation even though every man and woman in this room possesses a supernatural calling. Because the generation being addressed in chapter 19 possesses a supernatural calling, and they're ruined beyond repair because they do not agree with the principles of God. And we don't want that to happen to us. That's right. So, with that being said, before we hop into our text, we are going to pray again. Yeah. We want to get this right. Come on, we want to do it with smiles on our faces, but a double-edged sword coming out of our mouths. Yeah. Miranda, I'm so glad you volunteered to pray. Stand Ooh. up and pray. <laughs> Y'all feel refreshed? Yes! Yes. All right, well, Justin, take us
2: take us home. Linton, let's read chapters 19 through 21.
3: This is (laughs) (laughs) this is what the Lord says. Go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests, and go to the valley of Ben Hanom, near the entrance of the potship gate. There proclaim the word word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and the people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Listen, I am going to bring disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears it, hears of it tingle. For they have forsaken me and made this place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that 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 neither they nor their fathers or the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of In the fires as offers to build something I did not even command or mention, nor did I eat, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer call this place Toka or the Valley of Beninon, but the Valley of. Over to their enemies all the wealth of the city. All its products Report him, let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, "Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him." But the Lord is with me like a like a mighty warrior. Yeah. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never. Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave. Her womb enlarged forever. Mm. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him sure, son of Malchijah, and the priest Zephaniah, son of Masiah. they said, inquire now of the Lord for us, because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. Perhaps the Lord will perform wonders for us, as in the times past, so that he will withdraw from us. Mm. But Jeremiah answered them, tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I am about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in anger and fury and great wrath. I will strike down those who live in this city, both men and animals, and they will die of a terrible plague. After that, declared the Lord, I will hand over Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, And the people in the city who survived the plague, sword, and famine to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to their enemies who seek their lives. He will put them to the sword. He will show them no mercy or pity or compassion. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am setting before you the way of life and death. Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or to the Babylonians who are besieging you will live. He will escape with his life. I have determined to do this city harm and not good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will destroy it with fire. Moreover, say to the royal house of Judah, hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. This is what the Lord says. Administer justice every morning. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who has been robbed, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. I am against you, Jerusalem, you who live above this valley on the rocky plateau, declares the Lord. You who say, who can come against us? Who can enter our refuge? I will punish you as your deeds deserve, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in your forest that will consume everything around you.
0: My God, huh? Aren't you glad that we are not living in the days of Jeremiah? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Are you sure that we're not? And on what are you basing your confidence? Because as I look around at our nation... I don't know that we're not living in the days of Jeremiah. In fact, I'm persuaded that we are. So we're going to have to get familiar with Jeremiah's life. Get familiar with the Lord saying something to you that maybe never previously entered your mind. Because your drop-down list of Christian responses, well, it might be 200 years old. We We better wake up. We're going to go through the text tonight. I'm going to tell you up front. So last time I'm going to say it, we all love you very much. (laughs) If you're here on a Monday night, no matter who you are, no matter what our weeks have been like, we think an awful lot of you. And we are going to be men like Jeremiah tonight. That is our highest goal. We're aiming for that character. And we will not fail to warn about what God's word actually says. Amen. So, Linton, let's dig
2: in. Let's pick up in verse 1 and read 1 and 2.
3: This is what the Lord says. <clears throat> go and buy a clay jar from a potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and of the priests and go out to the valley of Ben-Hanon, near the entrance <coughs> of Hotsher Gate. There proclaim the words I tell you.
2: There proclaim the words I tell you. So, God tells Jeremiah to get an object, a clay jar from a potter. This object in Jeremiah's possession is a finished, fire-hardened jar. And it is not pliable clay anymore. This represents the failings, the centuries of failings to receive discipline correctly. That fire-hardened jar had already passed through the fire and is no longer pliable. Now the people that he brings with him, who were they? Elders. Elders. Elders of the people, elders of the, of the priests. These elders viewing the object lesson or pronouncement of judgment, they're not new believers. They're not pliable clay either. But they are older, experienced men who should be able to recognize the truth of God's word. But the problem is, is they've been hardened by God's word so long that they can no longer be pliable. So the lesson, the object the people, they're essentially the same thing, speaking the same message. Now, the place they're going to see the prophetic object lesson is the valley of Ben Hanom. Who knows where that is? No? Well, we're going to get into it. The valley of Ben Hanom, and it's outside the Potsherd Gate. I want to show you a slide about the Potsherd Gate. Many of you know that Jerusalem has many gates, right? Yeah. The Psalms write about it, of course. The Potsherd Gate is a gate of Jerusalem. East Gate, not mentioned anywhere else by this name. The place originally called the Potchard Gate becomes in later history synonymous with the Dung Gate. Hmm. That's not a nice word. This is a strong indicator that something about these events left an indelible mark on the psyche of Israel's future generations. What was going on at this gate was not so good, and therefore they named the gate Not-So-Good-Things. Now, the valley that the potsherd gate overlooks is the Hinnom Valley, and Nick will take us through that.
4: Wow. So first we have a potsherd gate, and then by the time we get to Nehemiah, we have this same gate commonly called the dung gate now. So that tells us a lot. It tells us that, well, there's dung around this gate. It's not pretty. It's a bad situation. This next slide is what we have In the Greek, not yet, the Valley of Hinnom, we're moving forward and we're progressing through history. The Valley of Hinnom was the site of the high places for Molech in Solomon's day. That tells you even more about this site. Ahaz and Manasseh, listen to this, sacrificed their sons in the fire at this gate. Eventually, the valley became a sewage and garbage repository, hence the words the dung gate in Nehemiah. And in the Newer Testament, it is referred to as Gehenna or Hell. I think we have a sampling from the Newer Testament as well.
5: So what you see on the screen is the usage of Gehenna, which is a Greek form of Hinoa. Now, just in case you missed a couple details earlier, Pacharge. Gate. Dunge, same thing. Walk outside of the dungate. you're heading the direction of Hinoam. So these things are related in the Hebrew mind because of geography. They're all in the same region that are known for the things Nick just told you about. Child sacrifice. Disposal of waste and sewage as a purposeful attempt to pollute the area and make it useless for idolatry. Now, as it makes its way into the New Testament is what you see here. In English, Matthew five twenty-two all the way through James 3, 6, the word is hell. But in every one of these 12 matches, it's Gehenna. So when the Hebrew authors were speaking in Greek and they wanted to communicate or had a letter that was translated into Greek, the concept, the idea of hell, they were communicating Gehenna, Hinnom, a place where idolatry had reigned and children died where sewage was poured where fires burned and never went out it is a place that the refuse of the earth those who would not go up to the temple dwelled now see this kind of imagery is something that is pervasive throughout jeremiah 19. we just want to give you kind of a sampling we're not going to go through each of these new testament verses but all the way to the time of Jesus and the Apostle Paul, the valley that is being described here and that Israel will be compared to is quite literally hell. I think it's best we pick out probably in verse 3 now, Brother Linton.
3: And say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle."
0: Wow. So we're standing in a gate, staring out a valley, bringing elders with us, and we have an object lesson for them. Be a little bit like if your boss suddenly said, hey, your window with the view, uh, get your belongings and get all of your things, because your new desk is going to be out where we keep the porta-potties. I, I want to teach you something. Okay, that's, that's a, a, a light reference to what is happening here. Uh, This is the very place Jesus described as what the lake of fire is like. And now in verse 3, we see a really interesting note. Okay, There's only one king at a time in Israel, and yet it doesn't say king of Judah. It says kings of Judah are being addressed. This indicates a pervasive, long-term, generational issue is being addressed. Have you ever heard the... The day the chickens come home to roost. I mean, the culmination of a lot of events has led up to this point. God is not capricious. He's not like Allah. He doesn't change his mind. It has taken a long time for him to get to the place where he says the things that he does. Friends, that's good news for us. Yes. Yes. Okay. And this is, it's meant to be a kind of homiletic to say kings of Judah. It's not unlike the homiletic in the book of Revelation. There are actually more than one homiletic going on here. But in the book of Revelation, do you remember it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches? It let you know that he's saying it to a specific group, but it's a warning to all. Well, what Jeremiah is doing is being said to a specific group, but it's a warning for all generations. It's commentary on the kings that came before, and it's a warning to all kings who would come after. Does that make sense? Yes. OK. Now, it's that last phrase that uh, caught my ear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Ears tingling always has to do with impending judgment. Let me show you a slide. We're doing slides tonight rather than scriptural handouts because we have so much to cover. In 1 Samuel 3, we clearly have a situation where their ears are tingling, and it's because the house of Eli is being addressed. Judgment on the house of Eli. Now, what was the house of Eli supposed to be? Priests in 2 Kings 21 on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. What are Jerusalem and Judah supposed to be if not the people of God? Okay? And then here in Jeremiah 19 where the kings of Judah are being addressed. I want you to notice that in every case the Hebrew expression is meant to draw the attention of the people of God to what is happening. You follow me? We're not talking about judgment on the pagan nations. In every case that it's ever used, we're dealing with judgment on the house of God. So it's important for you in this house to understand that that Hebrew expression is meant to draw your attention to what is coming. It's also important for you to know that the context, every time it's used, is there is impending judgment? Because now it will help you understand Paul's own insight into the book of Jeremiah when he writes 2 Timothy four one through three. Who's going to read that? I will. All right, then read that.
3: Second Timothy, Timothy four one through three.
0: Second Timothy four one through three. Real quick, hold on. Who's speaking to whom? And whether he feels like it or not, in season and out, he has this charge. Whether his heart is full of it or not, he has this charge. The charge involves correcting and rebuking, preaching the word, not just encourage people, not just have kind, dainty little words for them, in season and or out of season, you must be ready to represent God. Keep going.
5: The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear.
0: The people will desire to have teachers that take away the ear-tingling sensation. See, it's clear that those who purport to be in the house of God are in need of warning through the word, correction, and rebuke because the tendency has always been for believers to prefer teachers that do away with their ear-tingling sensations. They do not like to hear that Christians can be judged. One of the saddest phenomenon in the church world today is the prevalence of Christians who have no ability to agree with God's judgments. They prefer peace, love, harmony, so they compromise personally and drive the church of God into the valley of ben Hinnom. In this house, make up your mind as Jeremiah did, to agree with God even if it cuts against your precious personal preference. God is not as sweet in every situation as you would like Him to be. If you can grab hold of this principle, then you'll represent God well. If you cannot grab hold of this principle then you will end up misrepresenting the God of the universe. Jeremiah's life gives us an example of a man who does this well. I have not met many Christians in any country and not many Christians in this room that do this well. And we must up our game. We must hear what God is saying whether it's in your drop-down list of preferences or not and be able to say that because we are warned in the Older and the Newer Testament that the times were coming when nobody inside the house of God would ever want to hear that they could fall under judgment. Somebody to scratch the ear-tingling situation Sensation away. That's what people would want. And I'm gonna be very blunt with you. You've scratched a lot of ears in your life, and nobody more than your own ears. Because it never occurred to you that God might not approve of the person standing in front of you that says they're a Christian. And that it might be your job to tell them that God does not approve of them. Said, no, 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 one time I did it. One time, very good. This man did it every day for 50 years. He is a standout legend in the faith and somebody that we should imitate. I don't know about you,
2: Pastor, but I'm seeing men in this room that are learning to be sensitive to that ear tingling. (laughs) And I'm looking at guys like Tisdale who who is learning to open his ears and feel that tingling and rightly administer judgment the way that God wants it done. I'm seeing guys like Rob. He is learning to take that tingling of his ear and learn that God is trying to say something about his life and then apply it. I see God growing us in this endeavor, doesn't it? Don't you? Amen. Amen. Hey, Lynch, pick up in verse 4 and read to verse 6.
3: For they have forsaken me and made this a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. And they have filled this place with the blood of Something I did not command or mention, nor did it enter my mind. Mm. So beware. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call this place Topheth or the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the Valley of Slaughter.
2: So we want to start to connect a few of these locations for you. We've already seen Ben-Hinnom. We've seen the Pot Gate. Now God is mentioning Topheth. We have a slide here that is from New Unger's Bible Dictionary. And it's telling you what Topheth means or where the word is derived from. The word Topheth is an interesting Hebrew word. It has multiple components and is associated with several things. There are several roots that are very closely related that make up this word. The first prominent one is a word that is associated with drums. Now, interestingly enough, there are drums in the Valley of ben Hanoam, and specifically this place, Topheth. These drums are associated with child sacrifice to Molech, presumably to drown out the children's cries as they are being thrown into the fire. These drums are to drone out that noise, so it becomes a little bit more palatable to those
0: who are sacrificing to Molech. Like refusing to get sonograms before abortions. Just don't want to see it. The word Topheth is also
2: associated with a contemptible thing. Another root means to contempt, or it also means to spit on, as if it's an indicator to what God feels about the place where this idolatry is going on. Hmm. Now, Topheth seems to be a location within the Ben-Hinnom Valley. In fact, it's neatly tucked into the southern portion of the Ben-Hinnom Valley. Now, ironically, this hellish place was watered from the pools of Siloam in Jerusalem. Wow. The pools of Siloam sat oh at a higher elevation than this place Topeth, and they trickled down and fed this. Listen, saints, it is a special kind of hell when the people of God used the resources of heaven to extend devilish practices into the lives of others. Wow. We see that also often all around us. People come into this body and they they are gathering in the heavenly rain that God is pouring out upon our body, but then they go and they extend devilish practices into the lives of others by not requiring them to walk like God walked. Or more, more appropriately, for us very specifically, when we agree with or do not separate from those who do these practices. That is how you become a recipient of God's Healing waters like Siloam. You experience it yourself and yet you refuse to go and do what God says for other people. Tell them the truth about what his character requires. We need to learn from the life of Jeremiah. He was a man in the land. He drunk from the heavenly rains and yet he produced a crop exactly like what God wanted him to do. He did not get to choose what kind of crop he wanted to produce. He simply was a recipient of what God was doing in his life. And he said exactly what God told him to say.
0: I know Assad, the lion killer back there is learning to make these yes. distinctions. Yeah. I, I know that the whole family is drinking from new heavenly waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know things are getting clearer. When the righteous stop giving way to the wicked, the spring gets clear. Yeah. Otherwise, it's muddy according to the Proverbs.
4: Ooh, you know, Pastor Eric, I was going to say how proud I am of Paul and Nick Rosales Come and on, their renewed distinction every day and their growth yeah.
1: in yeah. this Amen. way. They
4: have truly yeah. experienced the pools of Siloam, the pools of heaven in their own life and they are constantly renewing that distinction and being like yeah. Jeremiah in their life, yes. putting the character of God on display Amen. for those who desire it. Yeah. Let's move on to verse 7.
3: In this place, I will ruin the plans I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies at the hands of those who seek their lives. And I will give their carcasses as food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. This is rough.
4: I I will ruin the plans of Judah and Jerusalem? I'm going to give their carcasses as food to birds and beasts? This is not the plan. It's not the intended destiny for the people of God. Deuteronomy 4 talks about Them having the word and living long and prosperous lives in the land of promise. And yet we're here at this point. It's the consequence of this generation's sinful disobedience. Mm. If God judges his own people in this way, what will be the outcome of those who are not inside of his house, but who are outside of his house? Mm. Wow. First Peter four, it actually draws from this idea when Peter says, hey, it's time for judgment to begin inside the house of God. And if it begins inside, what's going to happen to those who are outside? The prophets make it abundantly clear (laughs) that what God did to his people in the book of Jeremiah is the destiny of Mm -hmm. all the nations who will not serve him. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that? Judgment begins inside of his house, but by the time we get to the times of the end and As we begin to read through Revelation, we clearly see, wow, the whole world is going to be going through a very similar process that Israel is going through in Jeremiah right now. If you're interested in that, in your free time, we would encourage you, study passages like Deuteronomy 28, 1 Kings chapter 21, Ezekiel 38 and 39.
2: Come on, Acts 2.
4: How about Matthew chapter 24, speaking about the end times? And finally, Revelation 19. And we can assure you that you will see the connections between what God does to disobedience in his house and what he will do to disobedience in the rest of the world.
0: If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will be the outcome of the ungodly? We've eliminated the hard for the righteous to be saved. We've made it so easy. Yeah. All you have to do is nod in agreement. It's not true. It's never been true. Let's pick up in verse 8: eight. <laughs>
5: 8 through 9.
3: I will devastate this city and make it an object of scorn. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff because of all its wounds. I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters, and they will eat one another's.
5: By the enemies who seek their lives wow. Now this is about as shocking as it gets. more than anything that I've seen Hollywood be able to produce. Yeah. it's depicting a real people devouring their children. Now this is not just a mythical scenario. this is something that actually happened. but Moses warned them in advance that this was the result of disobedience. You heard Deuteronomy 28 mentioned earlier? Well, it comes into play again in verse 53 and 57. It happened to the northern kingdom in 2 Kings 6, 28 through 29. They began devouring their children while they were under siege. Now, consider Judah. Judah had the words of Moses and knew that disobedience would produce this. They watched their brothers in the northern tribes disobey and then devour their children. How much more culpable are they than all those that have gone before them? Now, just in case you think it's a veiled threat, Lamentations 2, verse 20, says that it happened. Jeremiah is lamenting about the events that he personally prophesied would happen, but then he had to live through them happening. Wow! And it left a mark on him. Now, I've never minded clinching with brutal passages because the word of God cuts me. It causes me to reckon with it. Come on. There are a few connections that I would like you to wrestle with here on a passage that is so shocking it's easy to dismiss it as somebody else's problem. Now, whether we're talking about golden calf incidents, child sacrifice to Molech, visions for careers, there's idolatry that is present in our lives that we eat the fruit of. You notice how they were sacrificing their children and now God is making them eat their children? How that works its way around. Now, in this body, we have spirit-filled believers that want to build generational ministry. Is that right? Yes. And we would never consider gnawing upon a child. Hopefully, right? Yes. Yes. I'm just checking. I'm looking to see what your response is to that. You never know. Because Deuteronomy 28 says that the most sensitive and compassionate of the women in this room... When you harbor idolatry, you will devour your children. To be honest, while we're discipling your sons, I can see the areas that sinfulness has been devouring their lives. We can see in areas of marriages, where your spouse's confidence has been devoured through bad leadership over years. I can see in my own life, to the same point, the areas that I have personally devoured things by choosing idolatry. Now, as we clinch with this for just a minute, It's important that we do not dismiss the seriousness of these truths as just an allegory or an analogy. Relationships that are idolatrous in our life, whether it be your friends, your family. You will have to eat something that is abhorrent and is killing those that you love when you harbor them. We have to reckon with that. There is no simple I'm sorry and it's over with. There will be something that is devoured. Many of us have idols in our lives that we gloss over but one that we've been dealing with a lot lately that is easily identifiable as a man that cannot demand action based upon what the Word of God says. It's because they're an idolater. Now, how can we make such a blanket statement that a man who cannot demand action of others based upon the Word is an idolater? Well, it's because it comes from a very simple, plain point, one that is even out through the scripture. Your ministry comes from your own home, and first and foremost with your own interaction with the word. So if you're unable to demand action in your own life because of what the word of God says, how will you ever be able to do it of anyone else? These are areas that we've made idolatrous compromises that are devouring the fruit, that are devouring the generations that are ahead. Do Do you remember
0: that when they worshiped the golden calf, what Moses did? Yes, he he up ground him. it up and made them drink it. Nothing's changed about the heart of God. Yeah, yeah. Now, every year, everywhere that we teach the ministry training class, the hardest thing to learn to do is demand a response from the people. Yes. So let's just get to brass tacks in the math equation. Why is that? Because you do not demand a response of yourself. And if you don't learn to draw these clear lines in your personal life, you cannot be used to draw them in other people's lives. Thus, some people in the body of Christ are hated because they're confrontational and others are universally loved because they misrepresent God. Mm. But that's not who you are. (laughs) At least not who you want to be. I know Carlos is making huge strides in this area. I've been watching him. His revelation is in the love of the Father, and yet he tells me some of the most piercingly true things that make me go back and examine my own heart. That's
5: a good brother.
0: That's a good brother. Yeah. That's what we want from each other. He, he'll call me before a meeting and say, Hey, don't you think the whole family of God should be involved in that decision? And I'm like, Oh! I'm leaning on my own arm. I forgot. This doesn't depend on me. We're all a family. See, you you take the clear lines that God has made for you that you see in the Word, and then you can start to see other situations clearly. We'll reverse engineer that. If nothing's clear for you and God loves everybody and he's the state puff marshmallow man who wants to hug them all, that's because that's how you would like him to feel about you. It's most always directly related to you have hidden sin in your life that is periodic, that you never get completely rid of, and because of it, you feel like he's shown you such mercy. How could you dare draw a clear line for someone else? mm. There might not be mercy for either one of you. How would you know if you don't get rid of the idol in your life? But that's not who you are. I know Cho's doing good. I know Cho's learning to compare his thoughts to the word, so that he sees only what the word says. Amen? Let's pick up in verse 10.
2: Now, I know because this is scripture, we kind of just read through it and it doesn't have any effect on what, how we really feel about this. But you have to imagine, Jeremiah has just taken the elders of a nation with him to a specific place. He's taking those that are, are older, they're taught, they, they know the most, they're the most responsible, have the most revelation, or so it seems And now he's bringing them to a place like Topheth, and he's breaking this jar in front of them and then telling them what it means for them. Could you imagine having to stand up and say that to a congregation? Can you imagine God telling you, you go tell this people that they are going to eat the flesh of their children? (laughs) How important is it to hear what God is saying without adding any of our own opinions into the mix
1: of
0: what God wants? You're going to eat the flesh of your children, but the Lord so much, he still loves you. Come here, let me hug on you. (laughs) You're going to eat the
2: flesh of your children. Are you angry with me because I said that? You see, the point is, is Jeremiah is standing with God regardless of what it cost him. And now he's making a prophetic announcement. This prophetic pronouncement, it started in chapter 18 with a lump of clay, but it's not a lump of clay anymore. It has been made and now it's too late. The jar is now broken for this generation. How would you like to be the guy that says there is no hope? You want to be an evangelist? What if your job as an evangelist is to stand up and say the window is closed. Now is the time for judgment. Jeremiah is saying it's broken for this generation and it will not be put back together for them. Mm. The lump of clay that is Israel is still going to be formed though. The lump of clay, the original root, that lump will be reformed, but this generation will not. They're smashed beyond recovery. The extent to which this prophetic picture permeates the Bible, this smashing to pieces. It would be difficult to overstate, but we're going to give you a slide to give you a small glimpse. These are indirect references to Jeremiah's time. And we see Luke 19, 43 through 44. This is Jesus looking at Jerusalem and weeping because he knows they will be dashed to the ground like a pot. Revelation 227. It's talking about Jesus and the nations and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. Psalm 29 is a prophecy about the son, the Mashiach, and it says he will smash the the nations to pieces. So the terrible truth is that the nations were to be dashed to pieces like pottery. And instead, because of disobedience, it is happening to a generation of Israel. It is a sad, sad time when what is supposed to happen to the Gentile nations is happening to God's, the apple of his eye, his own son's. But before we move on to 14, verse 14, take note of an important issue in verse 13. They are being made like Topheth. Did you see that? That's not very nice for Jeremiah to say, but it is what's happening. They are being made like Topheth, nasty things, burning filth, like hell because of something in particular. That comes from verse 14. Thirteen. Thirteen. Linton, would you read that again, and then Nick's going to explain it for us.
3: All the houses where they burned incense on the roofs to all the story hosts and poured out
4: drink offerings to the other guys. <laughs> where did they burn incense again? On the roofs. Roof. 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 Hey, any of you guys with us when we were uh, re-shingling our roof a few months back?
1: Yes. yes.
4: Thank you. You got it. Yeah, thank you, by the way. That was amazing. <laughs> we couldn't have done it without you. That is the picture that you need to get outside of your head. Because that's not not at all what we're talking about here. (laughs) Yeah, us on top of the roof almost falling off in the middle of the night, it's 4.30, it's wet, it's beginning to rain, it's cold. That's not what we're talking about. No. The roof is actually a very important part of society in the Middle East. When we're speaking about a roof, you should picture your living room on top of your house. Like, like a place that you would go to relax, a place that you would go to go study. Like your leisure area in your house maybe. Maybe you you planted a garden up there. It's where you went to enjoy a cool a cool breeze. The men of Jeremiah's day honored celestial powers. Did you see did you hear that? Yeah. On the roofs to starry hosts poured out drink offerings to other gods. We're not not talking about natural physical things. We are talking about celestial realm and celestial powers. So when they go up to their roofs and in their leisure time, the time that, oh, this is my time, man, I'm just going to go and hang it. They're using that time to sacrifice to Ooh. celestial powers and to participate in idolatry. Ooh. Come on. Wow. Men and women of LCM, we've got to address you tonight. We must learn from Jeremiah's life that what you do in your leisure time might mean more to Yahweh God than what you preach about or what you look like in front of other brothers and sisters in this room. Your leisure time, in your places of leisure, those places have a way of revealing what you truly love, Mm. what you are truly prioritizing in your life. What are you doing in your time of leisure? What are you doing when you just want to kick back and relax? Where does your mind drift to? We need to learn from Jeremiah tonight, church. We need to learn from the times of Jeremiah and get our leisure time right.
0: The reason that we're taking the time to help you with Middle East culture, to understand what a roof is like, is because we have a, a fine way of acting as if there are not idols in our lives. Yeah. If you can't wait to get home and sit in your lazy boy so that you can watch something produced by demons <laughs> or demons running around on a field for men's glory, then how can we not say that we are sacrificing to celestial powers in our leisure places? Okay, We have to be very careful about this because these are the people of God. This is not a somebody else problem. This is a you problem this is a me problem and i don't want to end up dashed to pieces like pottery i want to be pliable in his hands even when i find a more marred i want to be transformed into what he called me to be that doesn't happen if we accommodate ourselves by saying well that was back then i don't have a statue to allah on my roof now, you don't have a statue to Allah on your roof, but I bet, seriously, you got some idols in your leisure places in your life. Mm.
5: Well, look, we're going to transition to verse 14, <laughs> and uh, I think you can tell we could bury that in the earth if we wanted to, but I'm of the persuasion that those of you that have a soft heart already heard us. Yes. If I hit it 14 more times, some of you are still not going to hear me. So I'm just going to let it rest on you and let you <laughs> contemplate it. Rather, why don't you pick up in verse 14 and we're going to learn more from the life of Jeremiah. Hey Jeremiah,
3: Jeremiah then returned from Tofet where the Lord had sent him to prophesy and stood in the court of the Lord's people, the Lord's temple, and said to all the people.
5: Good job, Jeremiah. You went and proclaimed it to the elders of the priests, to the elders of the people. You stood next to the gates of hell and smashed that jar and you told them what was true. Time to go home and watch TV on your lazy boy now? No. 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 He's not nearly done yet. I'm continually impressed by the life of Jeremiah. Come on. He takes what happened in that moment and he brings it to the temple courts. Come on. Said so that there is no man, woman, or child that is without excuse, but they all hear the word of the Lord. Mm. Now, another man named Isaiah largely prophesied a message of hope and a vision of future peace. It's probably why most Christians love to read Isaiah. I imagine Isaiah's job was a good bit easier some days. He was a friend of men like Hezekiah. But Jeremiah, however, had the unenviable task of prophesying unavoidable judgment in addition to Isaiah's topics. And not just in a private conversation, but in a public format. Maybe that's why people tend to only quote select passages from Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans
4: to prosper you.
5: Ignore the context. Ignore the context. Don't read what's before it or after it. It's all good. It's not. They were eating their children when he said it. Or a favorite one, Jeremiah 31. I just saw it up on a wall a little while ago. I have loved you with an everlasting love. What you're missing is that they have just been burned to the earth and there's like 5% of the population that is now being restored back to health. But we love to quote that passage. All the while, we do not want to clench with the life and body of work that Jeremiah is. Saints, if we can boldly stand up and share God's love, that is a good, righteous, and holy message. But everyone wants to hear that. Men of God, you have to honestly ask yourself, can you also stand with God and tell those that believe they are in God's house that they are under the judgment of God? Man, do you have no problem telling off a lost homeless guy at a gas station, but Ooh. when you have to bring a corrective word to a brother, your hands tremble? When you have to seriously convict yourself with the word of God, do you start to squirm and find ways out of it? Jeremiah had a difficult and unenviable task. Jeremiah does this with elders, with leaders, with all of the people in verse 14 at the temple. The people he was preaching to. Man, saints, they were on their way to the temple. I'm going to church. I'm on my way to Bible study. Hey, I just got done with my devotional with my wife. We're doing our homework. What else do you want from me? Don't do it, Jeremiah. Don't do it. Then people won't come to church. There's a psalm and a proverb that we'd like to share with you. I'm going to read to you Psalm 15, and my father's going to comment on it. <laughs> Amen. Lord, <laughs> who may dwell in your sanctuary? Hey, hey, do you think that's a serious question? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because
0: listening to most Christians talk, I kind of think everybody's going to get to. God loves me. That's great because I love me too. Saints, this psalm narrows down who gets to dwell in a sanctuary. So maybe we could pay attention to every word and not just the words you like.
5: Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless and who does what is right, who speaks the truth from his heart. Wow. The truth. Straight out of his heart. How did it get there if
0: your heart's deceitful? You packed the word in there. He created something new. He drew clear boundary lines for you, and so you share them with other people. And the reason so many can't do that is it was never done in them. Mm. They want the greasy message that is God is all. You know how many of you have told me how much you love our transformation message? Well, I love it too. It's what's happening in my life. But there's a reason that I love it. Because I am poor in spirit and begging God to transform what I now hate. The reason some of you love it is what you hear in it is it's good just like I am and got to work it out. It's not good just like you are. You ought to be mourning over your condition and hungering and thirsting for righteousness.
5: And has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor, neighbor no wrong, and casts no slur on his fellow man.
0: It's good. I don't even know my neighbor, so I don't have to say anything. <laughs> who despises a vile man? Did you know that verse was there? Yes. Yeah. Do you hear how there's not an overwhelming response to that? Have you personally interacted with that verse in a way that is righteous and holy? You you are probably of the opinion that a Christian would never despise someone. But that's not what the Word says. That's what you would like it to say. We are called to mirror how God feels about a human being. You don't get to choose. And you can't rightly discern it. God's Word and His Spirit have to tell you. How could you say that about that person? Because I heard it in my prayer closet. That's why. Say, but I just feel like God loves him. No, you just want God to love you even though you're steeped in sin.
5: But honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts.
0: Wow. Keeps his oath. If God said something to you, let's just take a real basic one, like this is your church, and that becomes negotiable for you, how will you enter the sanctuary of the Lord? If God says it, That ought to settle it forever. But we comfort ourselves with platitudes like I can serve God anywhere. You might not be serving him here. You can serve God anywhere he tells you to be. You cannot choose the message. You cannot choose the place. You cannot choose their response. See, God told Jeremiah where to go. He told him what to say. He told him who to say it to. And Jeremiah did it. I got to tell you, as we're, as we're interacting with Jeremiah, mm. we realize we're but infants in the faith. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we are trying so hard to be transformed.
4: Transform
0: Jer- Jeremiah shows me how far I have to go. Most of you think that I'm bold. Some of you hate it. Some of you love it. I feel like I haven't begun to tip the scale when I read things like Jeremiah. It's incredible. I don't know if I have the courage in me to do the things that he did, but I know God will transform me. Come on. And I know
5: he will transform you. And that's what we're aiming at. Who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Come on. Wow. He who does these things will never be shaken. Never be shaken or
0: never be shattered like a clay jar. He'll never become useless. Most men that I know have an extraordinary calling somewhere in their life. Many times they awaken to it, but they become as useless as a shattered clay jar because they will not stand with God, and they don't realize that they've reached a place in their life where they're saying all the same things Christians say, but nothing good will ever actually come from it.
5: All right. It's confession time. I switched our order of operations because I wanted the next scripture. And I had him do Psalm 15. (laughs) Proverbs
1: 28. (laughs) Verse 9.
5: He's telling the truth. (laughs) If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. Take that out of the word of God. I'm going to give you the next verse because it has hope in it. Did Did they hear the first verse? (laughs) But it relates to Psalm 15. How many of you have read Psalm 15 at some point in your life? You've read it. You know it. But he asked you if you knew when it said, despise is a vile man. Saints, we've been preaching messages like, you die. You have to experientially know the word. So what does it mean to turn a deaf ear to the word, to the law? It means that you've been hearing it all your life, but you have not taken hold of it yet. And even your prayers are contemptible until you do what it says. But Proverbs 28 goes on to say that a righteous man has an inheritance that cannot be taken, that will not spoil, that comes from heaven. So at some point in time, we're going to have to grow up and reckon with the life of Jeremiah. Have we turned a deaf ear to the law while agreeing that it's true and quoting it? Because it doesn't say, saints, those who don't read it, those who don't acknowledge it. It's those who have turned a deaf ear to its actual implications. But we're going to have the inheritance of the righteous tonight. Uh, We're
0: going to move on to verse 15, but here's an interlude, uh, a a brief intermission. I was not so many years ago sitting in a prison not so far away from here. Thankfully, I was ministering that day. And I was told that you guys, all you, y'all have a bruise the fruit ministry. And I was praying and I was watching the man who was saying it because... He seemed to have his stuff in order. His Bible looked well read. I understand that he was a faithful man for many years to show up in the prison. And then in the coming weeks, I just thought God would sort it out and I would wait and I would listen and try to know what to do. Well, he had no problem showing prisoners pictures of half-naked women. He had no problem using male genitalia as his sermon example. And I realized, he feels like we have a bruised the fruit ministry because he has no lines in his own personal life. He's yeah. overrun with sin. He doesn't think so, but he's deceived. And he's overrun with sin, so he deeply resents it when he sees somebody else draw clear lines. Mm-hmm. Friends, that's what crucified Jesus. That's what's going to get Jeremiah put in stocks here soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's why religious people are striking him in the face. The more you interact with the holiness of God on a personal level, the clearer these things will become to you. It's not a no-hope message. He will transform you. But it is an honesty message. You have to know where you actually are. I was sitting in another place, not so very far away. How are you doing, young man? Well, I'd like to believe I'm struggling from a place of victory. I said, that sounds like a man who is steeped in sin and trying to justify it with his words. Would you show me your phone? And his phone was laden with porn, struggling from a place of victory. Now, that young man repented fully, changed everything that he was capable of changing and asked God to change the things that he couldn't. And he's married with a baby on the way and doing great in the faith. Do you know what it came from, though? An incredibly uncomfortable confrontation. In fact, his own pastor got up and walked away from the table over it. Okay? You have to represent God rightly. Yeah. Hey, let's read verse 15.
3: This is what the Lord Almighty, the God <laughs> of Israel, says Listen, I am going to bring on this city and the villages around it every disaster I pronounce against them because they were stiff necked and would not listen to my word.
0: Anybody got lost relatives in here? Yeah. Yes. Anybody work with lost people in here? Yeah. Yes. You around those pagans? Yes. Man, they got stiff necks, don't they? Don't they? Yes. Except the term stiff neck not one time anywhere in the Bible is ever applied to a lost pagan. I want to show you a slide. Stiff neck refers to those that have accepted the yoke of the kingdom, but it's chafing against their necks because they will not go where God leads them. They will not do what God says. These matches, every single one of them, you take the picture and you investigate it yourself, they're all spoken to the household of God. A man that is not in the household of God, God's not concerned with whether his neck is stiff or not. He's not wearing the yoke of the kingdom. A stiff neck refers to a man who says he's come to Jesus taking his yoke on, but Jesus can't turn him in the directions that he should go. Mm. You know what I know, Pastor? We better get to verse, chapter 20. We better get to chapter
3: 20.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Lenten, and read uh, chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Man, a man standing in Israel watching this happening, he would have to ask himself, why is Jeremiah being struck in the face by those who are using religious speech? Why is Jeremiah being struck by those who seemingly believe the same things Jeremiah believes? They believe in one God. They believe he's the God of Israel and not the God of any other nation. Then why is this happening? It's a valid question, right? If the same man was a discerning man, he might also ask himself, why was it that I also was not struck in the face? I mean, doesn't that really beg that question? When you see someone persecuted or slapped in the face by someone who is ungodly, does it beg the question, why was I not slapped in the face like that man? I ask that question all the time. When I see Pastor Wade getting slapped in the face by an ungodly man, I'm like, I was five feet from him. Why did he not feel that righteousness and holiness exuding from me as well? And I start to sense that there's a problem. that I'm not as far along as Pastor Wade. We really need to learn from the life of Jeremiah how to stand with God. Jeremiah was a man who stood with the Lord no matter what it cost him, and it had visible results. If you have ever been struck in the face, if if you have never been struck in the face, maybe you have the wrong stance. (laughs) If you've never been spit on from proclaiming the gospel rightly, if you have never had a man standing there, and I know some of us in the room has trying to hit you with a steel chair, if you've never had a man trying to harm you in any way, verbally, physically, then you might not be taking the right stance with God. If those who would strike men like Jeremiah in the face are comfortable with you, then you may have a real problem. You see, they could feel the holiness and their conviction when they were around Jesus. Who in here wants to be transformed? I do. For your notes, you may want to look into the similarity between the location of Jesus being scourged and Jeremiah being placed in stocks. Jeremiah was placed in stocks on the north side of the temple. Oddly enough, Jesus was placed in the same place in those stocks. Now, you should also know that these stocks Jeremiah were put into have been researched by many fine Bible commentators, and one of them had the following to say.
4: So the word for these stocks in Hebrew, it's (laughs) mapeket. Got it. Nailed it. I think I nailed it. Which means causing distortion. That sounds terrifying. His ankles, wrists, and neck were in this, but in such a way as to be very uncomfortable. Like his limbs were stretched beyond their proper limits. This is a public thing, and according to the Hebrew, painful. (laughs) Thank you for the clarification. (laughs) Let's read verse 3, and we're going to tie this in with verse 3.
3: The next day, when Pashur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord's name for you is not Pashur, but Magor Misabi. Nailed it, brother. (laughs)
4: Imagine what Jeremiah must have felt as soon as those stocks were lifted from him. Ooh, Mm. A little bit of relief, finally, after a full day being stretched out, his body going in contorted directions. So, Pashur's there, and Jeremiah looks at Pashur cat, and he's like, oh, you're so sweet, little Pashur cat. Uh, I I mean, I just
0: want to get back to my rooftop, you know?
4: (laughs) You know, I I feel like uh, I'm going to have mercy on you. You know, the if, Lord loves you, for sure, Cat. If
0: I did anything to offend you, I'm so sorry.
4: The Lord loves you, for sure, Cat. Uh, he wants to... Uh, come here. Give, give me a hug. Give me a hug, for sure, Cat. Can't, can't we all just all get along? Yeah. I love you. Thank you for doing everything that you did for me the last 24 hours. <laughs> is that how Jeremiah responded? No. no. That is not how Jeremiah responded to for sure. So the question is, how could Jeremiah know how to respond? If Jeremiah is speaking to... Pashur, and he says, hey, your name's not sure. Your name is Magor Misabib. That's <laughs> got to be coming from the Lord. He must know how to correctly represent the Lord his God. Wow. We have a slide for this. Pashur, it very has a couple different meanings. First very of all, Rashi, <laughs> he says this. It's in the middle of your screen. And so he said to him, Not Pashur did he call your name, for the expression of Pashur means a great man and the son of nobles. Pashur. Pash denotes expansion. And war nobility. You gotta imagine that Pashur felt this way about yeah, it.
5: Like, know. man,
4: I noble am of nobles. Like nobility. Expanding nobility. I'm the son of a nobleman. I'm a great man. Look at me. I've got it going on. The second definition comes from the online Bible. It's Thayer's and Brown, Driver, and Briggs as well. Pashor. Freedom.
0: No, he's now, not
5: free.
4: Think about freedom in light of what we, the message that we received yesterday in this church.
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Freedom is not just a single transaction. It's an ongoing transformation that we are learning to flow in. We're learning to move in as a body. Yeah. Well, What if Pashur, because his name means freedom, thought that it was a single transaction kind of thing, you know? I I got the name Pashur. That's my function, you know? I already know that I got all the freedom that I could ever have. You know, I I move freely about where I am because my name is freedom. I had an experience with the Lord. What about the name that Jeremiah gave him? Jeremiah was representing the Lord. So Jeremiah spoke something, and he said, hey, your name's not for sure anymore. Your name is Magor Misabib. Your name is terror on every side. Your name means that you are such a captive to who you are. You refuse to change. You refuse to be transformed. You're persecuting the righteous, and you are so compromised you can't see yourself rightly. So I'm going to stand on God's side here, and I'm going to proclaim what the Lord says thinks about you, what the Lord feels about you, the Lord's perspective about your life. It's always interesting to see the differences between the way the religious look at themselves and the way that God himself truly thinks of them. How important is it for us to learn from Jeremiah and to learn to seek the perspective of our God? You see, it's absolutely everything. There are no defaults for us in the kingdom. We need to be connected with our Father, and we need transformation.
0: How many times would you expect to find the name terror on every side in the Bible? Seven, right? Seven, everything's seven. What's the number of sand in the Bible? Six. This phrase occurs exactly six times in the Hebrew Bible. Okay? And most commentators will say that it occurred five times in the Bible, in the book of Jeremiah, and that he's the only one that uses it. But they forgot to include Lamentations, which Jeremiah also wrote, which brings us to a total of six. You want a life of terror on every side? Then approve of sin. Whether you commit it or somebody else, approve of it. Mm -hmm. It's a a fast track to becoming a refugee.
5: Let's pick up in verse 4 and go down through 6. For this is what
3: the Lord says. I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes, I will hand all Judah over to the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the soil. I will hand over to their enemies all the wealth of the city, all its products, all its valuables, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Peshul, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. There you will die and be buried. All your friends to whom you have
5: prophesied lies. Look, the historical account quite clearly proves Jeremiah's prophecy to be accurate. I hope this evening that you do not experientially know his prophecy to be accurate. (laughs) (laughs) But for sure, like most men who had high opinions of themselves, he simultaneously possessed extraordinarily poor discernment in his own life. Now, men like this often tend to prefer circles where they're prophecies are accepted. Their interpretation of the word is accepted to alleviate their position. But what I really want to highlight is the contrast to Jeremiah. We stated earlier he represented the Lord, but let's be real for a moment. You just have the uh, refuse beat out of you. Your temptation would be to say nothing at all and get out of there as quickly as you can because you don't want to go right back to the stocks. But Jeremiah was able to stand with the Lord without wincing. His witness didn't wince. He didn't shy away from the difficulty that was associated with speaking God's word to his people. Now, when he speaks, he never shows more compassion than God. And he also expresses exactly what God's heart is. He never alters it. Not to fit his own preference or anyone else's preference. And he is a legend in the word that is like hearing the prophet Elijah speak. These men stood for God and for no one else. Yeah. Look, what is going to follow in this passage is not Jeremiah speaking to Pashur, but is his private communication with the Lord, his heavenly channel of prayer, if you will, his Psalm 4 wrestling with the Almighty God that he might find out how to offer right sacrifices. And they're recorded for our benefit. Somebody say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You're getting to hear his interpersonal dialogue with the Almighty that was not intended for everyone else to be heard, and yet it was for you. In his agony, over and over and over again, he's going to do what the Lord has called him to through difficulty. If the Lord's word hasn't put you in agony, then you aren't attempting to actually carry it out with the accuracy that Jeremiah did. Now, the ways that we get around that agony is usually by adapting it to our own liking or a recipient's hearing. Mm. I want to remind you this evening, their reception of the word of God, your feelings about the word of God do not matter. The word of the Lord is what stands forever, and that's where we must stand. Perhaps this is why Paul speaking to Timothy, he said, agonize the good agony, fight the good fight. Because these men understood this principle.
0: It turns out that every man of God that has ever really engaged the word and received a word that they have to deliver to others is in agony over it. They're in agony over it because we are so imperfect. Yeah. And God is perfect and you are representing him. It's so easy to slide your own opinion. To be honest, I don't know what I would do in front of Pastor. I, I might really genuinely want to hug him and hope we could make it, all right, because we're all brothers after all. I mean, I'm a priest from Anatoth and you're a priest from Jerusalem. You're a big man. I'm a little man. Let's, please, let's work it out. But that's not what God said to it. Right. God had an opinion about Pashur, an opinion that nobody in Jerusalem apparently shared. Yeah. And he had to share it. Yeah. I got to tell you, pastoring pastors is agonizing. <laughs> Their congregations love them. They love themselves. It's difficult to say something that God once said based on the word. Because I want them to love me. I want their congregations to love me. I mean, we're all family, right? But if you do not do it, you also do not see the kingdom move forward correctly. Okay? Look at these next few words. And uh, let's let's read verse 7. Oh,
3: Lord. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So we grabbed a screenshot of a scholar here because we didn't want to do long word studies tonight. The word in Hebrew, the word is patah. It almost always carries more like uh, the word seduced, persuaded, some translations will say. A, por- a more <laughs> precise way to think about what Jeremiah is doing Is he saying, look, Lord, you persuaded me to go tell these people, and yes, you told me it would be difficult, but you didn't tell me just how difficult. (laughs) Like, in other words, every one of us receives a calling, and we're excited about it, and we think we know what it means, and we cannot wait to do it until we're doing it like God says and find out how much harder it actually is. This man is pouring out his heart to God. He doesn't do this publicly. He's not giving his his enemy encouragement. He is not besmirching the name of, he's talking to his father. This is literally him crying out about what he needs to be transformed about. And it gets very Jewish and very funny if you pay close attention. (laughs) Hey, let's read verse 8 and 9. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence.
2: This really gives you insight to Jeremiah's call in ministry, doesn't it? Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. That was his main message. Then then he says, the word of the Lord has brought me because of this insult and reproach all day long. Uh But he's faced with a situation. Even though he's suffering, even though the word of the Lord is bringing him insult and reproach, he has something going on inside of them that overpowers what he wants to do. Amen. He says, but if I say I will not mention, which to be honest with you, a lot of us say that all of the time. Like I'm just going to take a break from mentioning what he wants me to mention.
0: Yeah, a better season.
2: (laughs) But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. It cannot stay in there. If I try to keep it in, it's shut up and I have to let it out because it is burning inside of me. That is the goal of every believer to get so immersed with what God is saying that it is burning like a fire and you can't hold it in no matter how much you try. Jeremiah's own expectations of what the calling would look like have not panned out to what he expected. I mean, you would think if you're serving the God of the universe, right? Lord, I'm being obedient. I'm doing everything you tell me to. He would have a little bit of peace on earth. However, because this is not happening, he cannot back away from what he knows is true. The moment he does that is the moment that he does not be, uh, He stops being the Lord's ambassador and he loses that closeness, that fire inside of him, it, that fire in his bones is is not a comfort to his flesh. But you know what it does? It gives him (laughs) unity with God in purpose. It gives him that that knowledge of knowing I am standing on what God is telling me to do. And that is a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what Shalom looks like. He has literally eaten the scroll. And you remember what he said about it? It was sweet in my mouth. It was sweet when he initially ate of it. It's like the response. Oh, I could hear your voice. You're speaking your word. This is awesome. Until it became bitter in his stomach. Until that digestion starts to take place and it begins to hurt a little bit. Every genuine man of God experiences this. I challenge you. Look throughout all of history since Christ. Every genuine man of God has experienced this, that turmoil and agony of having to digest God's word and then feed it to others. We pray that you take insight from his life because you should experience this too. And we know that many of you are experiencing it right now. I can look at a man like Adam Korah, and I can see that he's digesting the word of God. And it's like a fire shut up in his yeah, bones. And we can see the effects of it. That is the goal for this body to become like what Zechariah said about Judah. I will make them fire amongst wood and stubble, burning on every side. We're going to pick up in verse 10 and read on. <laughs>
4: Stop right there for a moment. All his friends, all the people that were at one time close with him, maybe all the people that were from Anathoth—they're saying they're sitting there and they're waiting for Jeremiah. They're saying, "Hey, he's going to slip any moment. Hey, Jeremiah's going to fall any moment. Maybe he's going to be deceived. Then we'll have our chance to prevail over him." But in this chapter, we see Jeremiah coming into the temple. Where is the temple? What city is the temple in? Come on.
2: Jerusalem. The
4: temple is in Jerusalem. You know what that means? It means that Jeremiah had correctly dealt with the footmen in his life. He's at a stage right now where he had dealt with the friends and family, those things correctly at Anathoth. He had had his experiences He had taken his stand for the truth. He had rightly reflected the Lord. And so we find him in Jerusalem here. Jeremiah is racing with the horses. Yeah. Jeremiah is running with the horses. He is in his call. He is doing his thing because he rightly dealt with the the friends and family that were at Anathoth. This is amazing. But can you see how difficult it is? Can you see how hard it is? You know, at the beginning, when he first swallowed that scroll, it was kind of sweet, you know? It was nice. It was something that was pleasant. Man, that call. It feels good to know that the Lord's got a call on my life. I know it's going to be difficult, but it feels good. Now he's in Jerusalem, standing up to the oldest elders of the land, the most respected people of the land, standing up to kings and prophets, standing up. To other people that believe that they're right with the Lord. But Jeremiah has learned to stand with God, and it is qualifying him to run with horses.
3: And
5: let's hear his further interaction with the Lord. Get 11 through 13. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Oh, come so on. Keep going, Linton. So my persecutors will
3: stumble and not prevail. Yeah. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten.
5: Man, oh, you got to love eternity when you're on the right side of it. Keep boy. going. Oh, Lord
3: Almighty, you who examine <laughs> the
0: righteous and probe
3: the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I've committed my cause. Ooh. Man,
5: this is like Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and let me see them searched and your vengeance come <laughs> upon them. Yeah. Sing to the Lord.
3: Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life, the life of the needy from
5: the hands of the He's praising God because he knows he will be rescued and they will not be. That they is, is the finality of the matter. Yeah. Look, in his battle with despair, he's reminding himself of the God who is with him. Now the word here that is translated, mighty warrior, there's a little more at play that we're not going into because we're going to keep moving. But it's more like the terrible mighty warrior. Mm. The dreaded yes. mighty warrior. The warrior of warriors is approaching. In fact, it's the same word that is used in Isaiah to describe the second coming of Christ where men are hiding under rocks. He's saying that God is with me and he's reminding himself of whom he serves. Man, that's a word that we need that will revive you when you're struggling, when you're fighting your next moment. Come on. That God is the one that is with you. Come on, Hey, get 14 and read on down to 18.
0: I'm going to interrupt you some. Don't let it hurt your feelings. Anybody in here been in stocks? No. 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 Well, needless to say, once the adrenaline wore off, I think he was a little sore in more ways than one. <laughs> like, he, this is a low point for Jeremiah. And... <laughs> In English, it doesn't come across the same way as it does in Hebrew, and we don't have just a ton of time, so I'm going to do my best with it as we go.
3: Curse be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore, bore me not be blessed.
0: Notice he doesn't curse mama. <laughs> he curses the day of his birth, okay? The law forbids the cursing of your parents. Okay, this is a little bit like a Christian in this hemisphere that can't use that other word for excrement, and uh, but you're frustrated, and you don't know what to do. So you you're trying to keep it in proper bounds, but you're really hurt, and you're like, "Lord, this is like caca." <laughs> okay, but he's he's very careful in the way that he does this. Okay, he is talking to his father, and he's expressing his heart. Keep going.
3: First, be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad. Saying, "A child is born." Now.
0: I can't curse dad, that would be against the law. But the law doesn't say anything about the guy that brought the message that made my dad so happy on the day I was born. I'm just saying, dad, this, this mission, it, it kinda has some parts that are like caca. <laughs>
3: Out of the to see trouble and sorrow and to end my
0: days in shame. This is not Jeremiah sinning. You need to get straight this. Okay? This is Jeremiah before his God and he's talking to him about the depths of his heart so that he can be transformed. He goes on and he does everything the Lord says. And before it he did everything the Lord says. This is a man wrestling with the difficult and the agony of being actually used by God. I'm a little concerned for so many that find it so easy to perform their calling. I think it's because they're not actually doing their calling. I find it agonizing. Enjoyable. I love it. But it's agonizing. And it's agonizing because it's difficult to discern where God stands, stand with him, and not doubt what he has shown you, and yet be pliable in his presence in case you got it wrong. That is an agony And Paul uses the exact same words when he's talking to Timothy. Go agonize the good agony. See, that's not pulling a a sermon out of a a file. That's not your predetermined drop-down list of how you think God wants to speak to everybody on the planet. That is knowing the right word for the right moment and it not coming from you. Jeremiah is taking his concerns to the right place. He's taking them to the throne of God. Mm. Look, it's so important that you appreciate that this man is letting you know he's not just the giant superstar who it's all perfect all the time. He's more like, oh, a predecessor, Elijah, (laughs) who laid down under a boom tree because life wasn't going the way he thought even though he called down fire from heaven uh, even though he put to death all the false prophets, ate food from the heavens, and outran chariots, this was not quite how he expected it to go. And man, it just hurts to be in stocks. Yeah. And he's talking to his daddy about it. Let's pick up in verse tw- or chapter 21.
3: The word came to-
2: Now, we want you to know just for your own studies that this may or may not be the same pasher. and that makes a difference. If it's the same pasher, then you get a whole different feel of what's going on here, but it may not be. What we see here, though, is that they have different fathers listed. So let's pick up in verse 2 and keep
5: going.
3: Inquire now, the- <laughs>
0: Pastor Wade's laughing in the sound booth because he knows exactly what it's like to have people hate you and then two verses later ask you to inquire of God for them.
1: Yeah.
2: Hmm. The truth is, is that these chapters are split by a lot of years. Now we are seeing that Zedekiah is the king over Judah. And if you know that Zedekiah and his reign and when that was, he's the last king of Judah before his captivity. We want you to know that Jeremiah is not a chronological book. It's a collection of his prophecies that are written into a book, and it's not entirely chronological. So there's a split here between chapter 20 and chapter 21 in time, but now we're at the very end of the process of judgment. This is when captivity is coming. Babylon now is apparently attacking, as Jeremiah has been saying since the first chapter. So you have this time that is... That is expanded. This time gone past. And everything that Jeremiah. Has said would happen. Is now happening. They have rejected him. For that amount of time. But now that they see it happening. They are like. Hey you were right. Can you inquire now for us. Can you, can you pray for us. Even though Jeremiah has been speaking. All along what they must
0: do. And they have been ignoring it. Except they are not saying. Jeremiah you are right. They are now forced with the truth that he said Babylon was coming and he's there, they're not saying you're right and we want to repent and we accept the judgment of God. Instead, they're hoping for something else. See,
2: Zedekiah is probably reflecting on previous history, hoping for a reprieve. In Isaiah 37 and in 2 Kings, Hezekiah has the same situation, except entirely different. You see, Hezekiah and the nation at the time, they were willing to repent. But they have a wicked king who is coming against their doorstep. And Hezekiah had asked the prophet, the national prophet, Isaiah, for help. And the Lord sent an angel to wipe out Sennacherib's army. He sends an angel and wipes out 185,000 men who were sieging around the city. Now, you see, everybody prefers to be Isaiah,
0: Now let that sink in for a minute.
2: Everybody prefers to be the prophet that whenever someone is crying out, please inquire of the Lord, perhaps he'll do something miraculous. You show up on the scene and say, bam, the Lord's heard you and he's going to answer you
0: and defeat all your enemies. I want to give you a practical example. Do you think the Lord will heal me? Of course he'll heal you, baby. What makes you say that? What, What would make you say that? That is your misunderstanding of the word and what you would like to be true. There are many people God will not heal. Wouldn't a, a great question be in your own heart, Lord, do you want this person to be healed? You, no, you just assume he wants to heal everybody. What if God's the one that struck him with the sickness in the first place? I'm not saying he does that only. I'm not saying that's the only possibility, but why does it never occur to the Christian body that somebody might be under the judgment of God? Because you would like there not to be the judgment of God. That's
2: why. Now, obviously, we would all like to have the answer at the time that someone's asking, right? We all want to be the person that has the answer. But a safe route for you is if you don't know the answer, don't say anything. Don't put yourself in the position of speaking for God when you really don't know. But see, Jeremiah is in a position entirely different. He does know because God has been telling him. This is a nation that will not repent. And so Jeremiah cannot just run to the rescue of Zedekiah. He has to stand on what God said and say judgment is coming whether you like it or not. So the question is, everybody can be an Isaiah. But are you capable of standing as a Jeremiah in the situation that God directs you to? If God is telling you that this person cannot be saved, are you capable of reckoning with that? Are you capable of of seriously understanding the truth of God's judgment and relating it? It's a serious question. Tonight, we're going to grow into that, though. We're going to become better at recognizing God's word.
0: I've been watching Chris grow into things like this. He's getting it. Look. Look. All of us are going to misstep somewhere along the way. I, I, I bet I've misrepresented the Lord more than anybody in the room. And I have because I've been representing him longer than most all of you in the room. And when you get something wrong, you go back before him and say, transform me. Yeah. Transform me. I don't have the right to represent my own opinion. Come on. I, and not long ago, I stood up in a group with five or 600 people. I told them, "All, oh, Come forward. I'll pray for your healing. Well, that was true. But I also had no idea whether God wanted to heal those people. And as I'm standing there praying for them, I found myself moved to pray for some of them for healing and others. I had to look them in the face and say, you know what? I don't think God has any interest in healing your hand. I want to talk to you and pray for you about your soul. Okay? You know, some of them got upset. They have good pastors and their pastors went back to them and said, shame on you. You're asking for the wrong things said, so, well, the man said, come forward if you want this. Yeah, but the man represents God, and he got that part wrong. Hmm.
4: Are you guys ready to move on? And we are going to absolutely hit brass tacks right here in verses 3 through 7. All of this that we've been teaching tonight is going to come to an absolute point. Are you guys ready for this? Yes. yes. Linton, let's read 3 through 7 together. But Jeremiah
3: answered them, tell Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, Ooh, this is what the Lord, the God of
4: Israel says. We better have our ears perked up and listening to what God
3: wants to say.
0: Apparently, Nick, he left his Isaiah pamphlets at home, and so he, he couldn't <laughs> just give him the track, you know. I am about to turn...
3: Inside our city?
4: But God, this is your land. But God, we're your people inside the city?
3: Yes. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand oh and a mighty God. arm.
4: Tonight, we have been working to help you put yourself in the shoes of Jeremiah. We've been working to help you to have Jeremiah's perspective, to have his eyes, to even have his heart so that we can be moved the way that he was moved before the Lord. That is because Jeremiah rightly represented the Lord in these chapters. He's an excellent case study for us. He's an excellent example for us to look at and say, "Lord, I need to be transformed more because I'm not like that yet." Yeah. We're about to hit a scripture string that is going to be absolute brass tacks. So we're going to start with Michael over there, and Michael is going to begin in Deuteronomy 12:31.
5: Brother, I think we're going to let Michael have his scripture and then we're going to pick up from there for the sake of time. Okay, but, we're um, going to cut it? We yeah, because we Michael. got
0: 15 minutes. While Michael is looking at that so you don't get the wrong idea about Jeremiah. He's the guy who prophesies the new covenant. Un- understand. He rightly understands the judgment of God, so he rightly understands the salvation of God. If you don't understand the judgment of God, you'll never understand the salvation of God. And that's why you run around saying everything that you say. God loves everybody. Wow. If you get a revelation of the judgment of God, you'll rightly understand the salvation of God. Michael, do you yes. have that passage?
5: make every point because we have a lot of scriptures that are going to add to it. There are things that God hates, and repeating those things will bring you to a place where God hates you because those deeds define you. This is clearly laid out in the law. Our next one is Deuteronomy 16, 21. Do not set up any wooden
0: Asherah pole beside the altar you build to the Lord your God, and do not erect a sacred stone for these the Lord, your God, hates. Now, I know you're reworking this in your mind right now. Well, uh, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Well, then, what does Proverbs 5.5 5 say, Justin?
2: Psalm 5.5 5 says the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. See, this is not just the sin or the action the sinner is doing that God hates. He actually hates the person that does wrong. We have to reconcile that God is a God who hates. If that is not in your theology about God's character, then you are serving an idol. It is not the God of the Bible. The God literally hates those who do wrong. Hey, Nick, what's Psalm 11, verse 5? Psalm
4: 11, 5 takes this to another level. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. We're not talking about things, we're not talking about actions. We are talking about Yahweh's soul hating a violent and a wicked
5: person. What about Proverbs 616? There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Oh. That's a way to say he strongly hates them. After what Nick just said He doesn't intellectually hate them. His soul hates them. Hey, what's Amos 5.15 say?
0: Amos 5.15 is an injunction to the righteous. Amos is preaching much like we're preaching to you tonight. And you'll hear the first half of the verse and want to dismiss it, but you can't. Amos says, hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty... We'll have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Yeah. Romans 12, 9 follows that same
2: pattern. Love must be sincere. Oh, that's great. That, that fits well with all of our Hallmark Isaiah. Christian cards.
0: Isaiah, okay. Isaiah, Isaiah.
2: <laughs> Hate what is evil.
0: Why are you bringing Jeremiah into my conversation about Isaiah?
2: <laughs> Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. You mean you actually, have to, you actually have to represent the Lord and hate what He hates? Yes. Well, it becomes a problem if you start to love or show mercy for the things that He does not want to show mercy for because as His people were called to represent
0: Him. Hate what is evil. Let me give you another Christianism real quick. Brother, I just pulled the toenails off my dog and, and I just I feel so bad about it. It's okay, brother. The Lord loves you. Are you sure? Are you sure? Wow. Might the Lord love him and want to restore him? Maybe. Of course. I've been in situations where I hate the person and realize the Lord loves him and I have to repent. But I've also been in situations where it would be very, very wrong to proclaim that the Lord loves this person Ooh. because he may not.
4: Yeah,
0: wow. Yeah, uh, Yeah. look how stunned they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's Bible, friends, same as John three sixteen. Yeah, it is. Hey,
2: I was taught when I, when, I bought, when I got born again, I knew it because I was taught that when I was unregenerate and not born again, I loved the things God hated. I loved the things he could not tolerate. I knew that I was finally standing in him and made a new creation when I began to, began to love the things he loved and hated the things he hated.
4: Ooh. Listen to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6. But you have this in your favor. Wow. (laughs) Word from the Lord. You have what I'm about to say in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. (laughs) Yeah, but Lord, I, I want the Nicolaitans to be saved and be a part. That's not what I'm saying to you. As a church, I'm saying you hate their practices, and I hate their practices, so I have my stamp of approval. You're representing me well.
2: Yes.
5: Come on. Romans nine, thirteen through 14. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now I know you biblically literate individuals are running through your mind. These are two different nations. Yes, God hates some nations as well. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. Oh, snap. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is beginning to make personal practical application from God's viewpoint of a nation down to his actual audience. He's taking the principle and he's going to drive it further. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on on whom I will have compassion. Saints, we're going to keep moving this evening. <laughs> there is a wealth of scripture on this subject. We're not going to take the time to go through every single aspect of it because it's redundant. Read your Bible and you will come to this conclusion. One, what? Of, the, one of the fun things about
0: this is when we skip steps, it screws up everything. A great Bible study is, Can a man be hated by the Lord? And then loved by the Lord. Yes. That occurs through repentance. But what you tend to tell them is that He loves you no matter what. And I'm not sure that... I'm actually sure the Bible doesn't say that. Let's read verse 8.
3: Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death.
0: Where have we heard that before? Mm -hmm. Maybe write down Deuteronomy 30, 15. Because it says the same thing. God's Word is a matter of life and death. And it depends on a lifetime of choices. How you react to his word produces either life or death. These things, uh, they were always said to the believing community. He didn't say to a lost nation, I've set before you life and death. He says it always to the believing community. We're telling you tonight that these principles are life and death. Some of you will move on and enjoy great life. Some of you may not. And that will be your choice cuz you are now empowered yes. to make that choice. Right. Yeah. I pray you choose to be transformed. Let's do verse 9. Hey, who wants a little bit of hope?
2: Yes. Yeah, we all want hope, right? Well, we're going to find it in verse 9.
3: <laughs> Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword. Oh. <laughs> and a you persuaded me, Lord, and I was persuaded. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians who are beseeking, you will live. He will escape with his life.
2: You see, this is hope. This is what repentance looks like. It starts with the acceptance of consequences for the actions. Repentance is not looking at the judgment and saying it's not fair, I wish it wasn't happening. No, it's looking at the judgment and saying it is right. God God must do this. He is worthy in doing this, and then you start to accept the consequences like these who go and say it's right that he brings the Babylonians because of what we've done. I'm going to surrender myself to them because they're God's agents. They are God's consequence. And then I'm going to go along with them because, in that, in my recognition of God's judgment, I am going to live by accepting the consequence He has on my life. That is true repentance, and that is where you find hope.
0: We tend to take the subject of forgiveness and think that it means the removal of consequence. I want you to understand that sometimes repentance is best seen in the light of somebody who's going, hey, I deserve every bit of that consequence and I, I, I'm I, happy to take it because I deserve it. If only there might be some chance for me to continue to walk with God. See, that's eternal forgiveness and temporal consequence. Yes. yes. And the church seems right. to have no understanding of that. Right. What is verse 10?
3: I have determined to do this city harm and not good, declares the Lord. It will be given to the hands of the king of Babylon and he will destroy it with fire. Moreover, Say to the royal house of Judah, Hear the word of the Lord. O house of David, this is what the Lord says Administer justice every morning. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor the one who has been robbed. For my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. I am against you. Who can come against us? Who can enter our refuge? I will punish you as your deeds deserve, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in your forest that will consume everything around you.
4: Wow. The words of Jeremiah and the words of the Lord through Jeremiah, they are intense. Let's turn together to 2 Corinthians.
0: Everybody in the church, please do this. Chapter 5. We've got four minutes left and we're going to use them well.
4: We've only got a, a couple passages left tonight, but this is where the Lord was urging us to land the plane tonight. We want to make sure that everybody in the room is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Say there when you're there. 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 So we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at Amen. home in the body or away from it. Yeah. Yeah. There is no stipulation to that statement. We don't make it our goal to please him if it's easy. We don't make it our goal to please him if we just haven't ever trodden this land before. We haven't ever said anything like this before. We make it our goal to please him no matter what he shows us about his character. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him, For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I'm saying tonight, praise God that judgment starts in the house of God. Yes. Praise the Lord that his right judgments he's revealing to us. Yes. He's giving us clear vision about them. He is opening up our eyes and he is offering us the ability not to stay where we are, but to actually see Heaven's transformation in each one of us. Amen. You don't get to choose whether you want to be Isaiah or Jeremiah. You don't get to say, you don't get to wake up in the morning and say, Today, I'm going to be Isaiah. Because it just feels better. You don't get to choose whether you are delivering words of encouragement. Or whether you are delivering words of wrath and judgment. What you do get to choose Is every day to wake up and say, Lord, transform me. Lord, I'm dependent on you. Lord, I need you. Lord, draw me close to you. I'm drawing towards you. Help me to hear your words. Psalm 45.7, it tells us clearly. Love righteousness and hate wickedness. Our charge for you today is, can you be both of these men? Can you be both Isaiah and Jeremiah? Can you look at a situation and be... Either Isaiah or Jeremiah in the moment based on what the Lord God is speaking to you. We need to get Jonah out of here. Jonah was in a situation where the Lord spoke to him a message and Jonah said, nope, nope. I can be like this man, but I can't be that man that you're telling me, Lord. And he ran in the opposite direction because he just couldn't do it. He had a selective message. What lessons have you gleaned from his life? We need to turn around and repent. We cannot have selective messages. It doesn't matter if it's the person closest to you or the homeless person on the street that we were talking about. We need to have the message of the Lord. Jeremiah and Jesus. These two men, they both spoke the word of salvation and they spoke the word of judgment. We must learn from Jeremiah's life. We must learn from his reflection of the son of david jesus
5: christ we need to learn how to be both of these men in our lives saints we're at the balance of our time i want to tell you for just a moment as my family prior to praying. from miss jenny in the back all the way up to the front row jesus spoke to a church in revelation chapter three verse two told them wake up strengthen what remains Many, many times, if you're pursuing the Lord, you're going to find out there are areas you must wake up to that must be strengthened. This is the walk of salvation, one that is engaging in an ever-narrowing door. he goes on to say, For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Saints, you are blessed to have pastors, elders, the voice of prophecy in our life. That is both encouraging us about what has happened and telling us we're not there yet. That's not condemnation. That is the spurring on the cry of Christ that says until it is finished. Verse 3 says, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. Thanks, we've come to yet another crossroad when you're recognizing you don't have what you need, but if you remember what God did for you in the past, he is able to bring it to you now if you obey and repent. We serve a transformative God. This is a Jordan kind of moment for every one of us, though. We must learn to cross it once again and be both men like Isaiah and Jeremiah.
0: Amen. We're at the end. And we're empowered to make choices. I'm completely convinced, and I have some experience with this body, (laughs) that we need transformation in this area. It's not the selective job of a few to share the unpopular words. A few of us to lose our families. (laughs) Some of the proudest moments of our ministry team than when I've watched Amen. women like Cassidy Piro stand up for righteousness no matter what it meant. When I see the Molochs take a stand, no matter what it means. Because in all of these cases it's confusing. Everybody's saying all of the right things, but their actions show something entirely different. You have to determine do I stand with God or not? You you have to make that decision. But ask yourself, if you don't stand with him, what do you need to do? You need to repent. I know something of the agony that Jeremiah was in. I really, really personally do. He did it better than I do, but I'm looking for all of us to aspire to what he does. Speak the word that God gives you, not the one that you would like, or that you think is well-received or makes your life easier. Leonard Ravenhill has been too often quoted as saying it. It probably doesn't have the same meaning that it did the first time that he did. The God of all comfort comforts the afflicted, but he afflicts the comfortable. People hated him until after he was dead, because then they could apply his words to other people. He couldn't be talking about them. We have to get this right. Amen. I believe God's brought us to this night for this reason. So much so we changed the whole format, the number of chapters, the way we delivered everything tonight. It's uncomfortable for us. But I'd rather be uncomfortable for a moment and have the confidence that we stand with God in the years to come.
5: Amen. Yeah.
0: Because I believe we're in the days of Jeremiah, and this is an adjustment that must be made. Okay. Would you stand to your feet?